0: Hey, folks, it's your old pal Tristan. Yep, that's me, the guy you know and maybe care for. Good way to start a show. This week's guest is Kate Harlow. She is a podcaster and improviser. We have an excellent talk about anxiety, depression, getting over things, and imposter syndrome. There's only one thing. I'm confident in, and it's the fact that I have imposter syndrome. If you like this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash waywardwordsmiths to support it and check out all the other stuff there. I'm doing a one-man show about my experience with bipolar disorder. The next um, workshop of that is going to be November 7th at Misfit Hive at 8pm. Would be happy to see you there. All right, let's get to the interview. Hello, Kate. Hello. Thank you for doing this. Um, so you have a podcast called Subvertive Tropes, right? So, yes, but,
1: uh, since, uh, since I first reached out to you or Mm -hmm. or you reached out looking for people, um, Mm -hmm. that has gone on a little bit of a hiatus, uh, maybe a temporary hi- hiatus maybe a forever hiatus we're okay. not really sure no uh worries. right now i am working on a podcast called kids on bikes uh oh. which is a real um real play tabletop game uh adventure
0: oh that's cool um yeah, it's a lot of fun what game are you playing
1: uh, so it's actually it's a new game that was released in september by renegade studios called kids on bikes
0: okay so it's just okay <laughs> <laughs> and how does that work
1: uh, so it's like if Stranger Things and It and the Goonies mm-hmm. all like had one baby and turned it into an RPG. It's uh, a okay. bunch of intrepid characters trying to figure out a spooky mystery going on in their town.
0: Very cool. Very cool. And how'd you get into podcasting?
1: Uh, I got into podcasting first mostly as a listener. I mm-hmm. was a big fan of a whole bunch of different scattershot things Mm -hmm. and then um the guy that I was dating at the time uh had he's one of those people that like every topic he thinks of like oh that would be a really cool podcast (laughs) um so he uh every October does have for the past several years has done a marathon of horror movies a movie every night um so we decided that we would start doing a movie podcast and we started it uh, primarily with the October horror movies, and then kind of branched out into any and all movies that caught our fancy.
0: Very cool. Very and that cool.
1: was that was subverted tropes, mm-hmm. and you can still find that on your good podcasting, uh, pod listening mediums out there. Yeah. Um, it was fun. I was proud of everything that we did. Good. Uh,
0: good. That's always go. a good always a good thing and you you had mentioned that you you'd been a performer or in the creative arts um, for like 20 some odd years how did yeah. where did that first begin and what what things do you do besides the podcasting
1: so i started as a dancer uh, my oh. first ballet class i think the first official one i was in was when i was three or four mm-hmm. um i was a dancer through my teens i taught I was um, in a performance group that, like, we would go to local, you know, old people's homes and and do shows for them, and um, unfortunately my dancing career ended abruptly. I took a fall and busted a bone in my ankle, and it was a whole big Mm to-do. And from there, it was while I was laid up with this ankle injury that I realized I really just liked being on stage i like performing Mm -hmm. i like making people happy so Mm -hmm. i started um, looking into other mediums to do that from there i wound up getting into theater and comedy primarily Mm -hmm. and uh, from there i got into improv comedy specifically Mm -hmm. Uh, so that that takes me from about three to uh now
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay cool um and a couple questions about that. When, how how did you feel about when you broke, what your leg? I assume.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was, it was um, um it's weird. It was actually right. a, it's a small bone in my ankle yeah. that only thirty percent of the human population grow. It's a little weird oh, okay. mutant bone growth. Um, at first I was completely devastated because yeah. I really thought that I was gonna go on and go to school and be a dancer in New York City, uh-huh. and uh. I, I thought that I was just completely ruined mm-hmm. and I realized in the healing process that it didn't matter if I was dancing or uh, doing something else. I just liked, I, don't, I guess I like attention. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. That's a powerful thing to admit to yourself, to be honest. I think it really yeah. frees you from the shackles of like, presu- like you have to be like, not exactly not humble, but, like, some sort of self-effacing about it. It's like, no, I, yeah. like, I like the attention. I like when people – and I think also what's fun about being a performer is, like, it's positive attention you're giving an audience, too. So it's, like, it's yeah. a back and forth. Um, well, one of hmm. the
1: big things for me was that um, when I – When I had this injury and then just a lot in general it's a a personal thing for me a struggle personally Um, I've always had issues with depression Mm -hmm. and uh, because of that I developed a very self-deprecating sense of humor sure and I identified very very much with uh, Saturday Night Live and Mm -hmm. I would have hard weeks where you know I would just be like I just I don't want to do this anymore but there's a new SNL this week, yep. so I, I'll keep going till Saturday. Yep. Um, and I promised myself if I could help at least one person feel a little bit better getting through their week, then mm-hmm. I would feel like a success. And I have, people have told me since then that I have at least helped that. And, you know, I guess to to my own personal measure, I am a success. Good.
0: Good. I'm glad that's 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 a very powerful thing yeah i had a very similar thing with the star wars movies i'm like well i can't die now i have to know what happens next um (laughs) but yeah and you said you did ballet training and Mm -hmm. with someone who has like anxiety and depressive issues that's some pretty tough training do you think that exacerbated that or do you think it caused it how do you feel about that
1: I don't think it caused it. I certainly don't think it helped. <laughs> okay. um, the the dream that I had in my head where I was uh, going to be a very successful ballerina and mm-hmm. moved to New York City really didn't take into account a lot of the facts of the situation. Yeah. I am very short and I am built in a curvy fashion. Mm-hmm. There was no way that I was ever going to be a, you know, six foot five blonde hundred pound prima ballerina it just wasn't gonna happen (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I had set up for myself some goals that were not attainable and getting injured was actually partially my fault because I was fighting to get back on the. I have very very flexible ligaments Mm -hmm. um, so I had a history of just straining and spraining myself and I was always pushing myself to get back into working out sooner than I was really ready to do
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so I was coming back from an injury that I really should have I should I should have been benched I still should have been sitting um, mm-hmm. but I was so concerned that I was going to be out of sight out of mind of the director of the studio that I was like no no I gotta I need to do now yeah. and I wound up falling again because I'm a little clumsy <laughs> and I like rolled my ankle in a particular way and it mm-hmm. just went bad <laughs> yeah um, so it, as much as it was my own fault, it was also a gift for myself that I was able to stop mm-hmm. <laughs> doing it.
0: Yeah. And two things. One, with when you have like an idealized version of yourself that is hard to or is unachievable, I feel like it would make you m- more upset with yourself. And it, basically, is that true? And how did you also talk yourself out of this idea that you had for so long because I think that's important
1: um you know? it's I, I can say that spending several hours a week in a room that is lined with mirrors <laughs> floor-to-ceiling <laughs> is not great I don't think it's great for any person going through puberty ever yeah but in particular they really there was very little media representation of anybody who wasn't slim Mm -hmm. at that time Mm -hmm. and to be the heavier one and to say that is so i've looked back at photos of me from this time i was tiny Mm -hmm. i was very tiny (laughs) but compared to the other girls i was still heavier yeah so it just it set up a real real bad dynamic Mm -hmm. um but it also i think fed into a really bad sense of vanity that I have like I even now still catch myself like oh a reflective surface how do I look yeah Um, and it's I drive myself crazy doing it but I'm so used to it because I literally trained myself to be always looking for something out of the corner of my eye to like check my form and see how I'm doing
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and what was the process like kind of Going from this idealized version of yourself and dealing with the reality of who you are and what you can achieve and making that work. Also, how old um, were you when this happened?
1: So, the ankle injury happened when I was 16. Okay. Um, and I guess it just... Instead of that one particular ideal, I almost shifted to a different ideal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been an ongoing process my entire life where I have always been trying to find what I'm happy with versus what I have versus what is attainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's still an evolutionary process right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I would imagine it It changes as you get older you
1: know it does it also I hate to say it but I feel like I have a very not realistic sense of what I actually look like for as much time as I spend (laughs) checking myself out one of the things that has driven me to really continue working on myself is that when I'm improvising I will get you know, shots from the show later or mm-hmm. I'll get a video from the show later and I will look at them and think, oh god, mm-hmm. that's what I look
0: like. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um,
1: I felt really, really super confident and I felt really good about how that show went and now mm. I'm looking at this and I hate it.
0: Oh, that sucks. It's hard. Yeah, specifically when like how you look is such a small component of like what makes up a person.
1: Uh, yeah, and it's it's nice to be surrounded by people who are completely supportive no matter what which is one of the reasons that improv is so close to my heart and why the you know the podcast that I'm doing right now the you know -hmm. it's role-playing it's all very improvised and it's very supportive so you know even if I look back at something later it's like oh god that's what I looked like that day oh I hate that Mm -hmm. I can still look at the content of the performance and say but we all had fun, and the audience had fun, and people are enjoying the content.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: even if I don't love the picture, that's okay, because it was still a great show. It was still a great episode of the podcast.
0: Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, how did you first start? When did you... Like, I know you got into improv when you were younger, but how? what was that journey like to finding that's the thing that you like to do in comedy as well? Like.
1: Well, I... Um, after I had busted up my ankle, I was trying mm-hmm. to figure out like, okay, I like performing. What do I want to do? And I knew that I completely idolized Tina Fey,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so I was like, okay, how did she get to where she is? Okay. And I saw a lot of performers who had gone to theater for, you know, or gone to gone to school for theater for dramatic degrees, and then like parlayed that forward. A lot of people, a lot of people who are on like SNL and stuff. Yeah. They, you know, did like the straight stuff in their collegiate work, Mm -hmm. but they also started doing improv. And I was like, okay, improv. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. And it turns out there aren't any major universities that teach that. (laughs) So I went to college um, and I, you know, convinced myself that I could do this theater program and be like, you know, a seriously trained dramatic actress and then shift from mm-hmm. there. But what happened was that the other people in my class found out that what I really wanted to do was comedy, and they completely ostracized me for it. Oh, no. Uh, they were like, you're not serious. One person, this is maybe one of my favorite uh, quotes from my disaster of a col- uh, college career, <laughs> was, any hobo can do a jig and make someone laugh. Oh, <laughs> And the beautiful thing about that is that at the time that this guy said this, he was literally wearing an SNL t-shirt Amazing. from the More Cowbell sketch. Amazing. And I just, I was like, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I auditioned for like the um, the fine arts program instead of just like the regular bachelor track. Mm-hmm. And I told myself the day of the audition, if I don't get this, I'm going to go find a newspaper. I'm going to look for the next you know, improv audition wherever mm-hmm. in the city. And I'm going to go. So
0: that's what happened. <laughs> okay. Um, um, what city was that?
1: Uh, it's was in Buffalo.
0: Oh. Buffalo, New York. Very cool. Very cool. Um, all right. Uh, that's very fun. And what about improv makes it appealing to you? Like, what, how do you feel while you're doing it? And that kind of thing.
1: To be good at it, you can't... You can't be selfish. Mm-hmm. The best improvisers that I know, the best people I've ever performed with, we are more concerned about supporting each other and making each other look good than how cool we look or getting that punchline. Yep. And that collaborative effort and the consistency dedicated to taking care of the people around you, I find very appealing. Um, Because I've always been a very socially awkward person. So uh, being in a situation where people have to be nice to me is great. Um, I have been fortunate over the years to actually create actual bonds with real humans uh, that like me, even though we're not improvising together.
0: (laughs) But aren't we always? But yes. Um, Have you done any other forms of comedy like stand up or sketch?
1: So I tried stand up Mm -hmm. and I'm terrible at it.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right.
1: Uh, (laughs) I haven't tried it in many years but Mm -hmm. honestly the thing about uh, stand-up is again, I think you have to be very selfish. You have to be very focused on yourself and what you're doing and I'm not great at
0: that. Understood. Understood.
1: Um, I've done a limited amount of sketch comedy. Uh, It's fine but the sketch comedy that I prefer to do most is really like improv scenes they were like damn that was really good let's write that down and go back to it later (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely so what it kind of sounds like to me is that when you were performing you are not focused on yourself and you are not self-conscious and you're free of inhibitions and that is why you enjoy it yes okay that good I'm glad we got that settled Kate I'm glad we're (laughs) on the same page um but you mentioned at the top of the show um you You mentioned at the top of the show that you had um, some depressive issues and that sort of thing. When did they start presenting themselves?
1: Oh, those go back to grade school, elementary school. And that's, I am a big proponent of the fact that many forms of depression, not all, Mm -hmm. but many, I believe, are very much a chemical imbalance. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have some autoimmune disorders. I have type 1 diabetes Mm -hmm. and I have Um, hypothyroidism. There are several organs in my body that aren't capable of doing their job the way they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. So it completely makes sense to me that my brain is just not the best at like keeping up (laughs) the serotonin (laughs) that I need. Mm
0: -hmm. That makes sense. Can you remember the first um, instance where you felt that way?
1: Uh, The the first instance that I felt depressed? I don't know that I could really pinpoint it. My mother... When I was in fourth grade put me in therapy because I was having such a hard time socializing with other kids. Yeah. Um, so I think really she was the one that pinpointed it first mm-hmm. um, and then it was shortly thereafter that I was diagnosed with the diabetes mm-hmm. and it was like, well, I guess we might as well just keep her in therapy because mm-hmm. she has a whole other extra layer of other mm. now that's gonna make it harder for her yeah
0: what well, was um did does that no. Excuse my ignorance here. But does that... Um, do people make a big fuss about diabetes? Um, they
1: don't so much now because now it's less... Like, I can hide it more. Mm-hmm. I, it, I don't have to be in somebody's face about mm-hmm. it. But when you're in fourth grade, you know, you have to go to the nurse's office to test your blood sugar because they're not just going to let you do that in the classroom. And, you know... That if the teacher decides to design an entire lesson plan based on candy Mm -hmm. that's going to be a problem Uh, and I was already somebody who was bullied because I was very short and I had very red hair and I had freckles Mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to not react to bullies Mm -hmm. so that they had that one more piece of ammo of like oh Kate's weird, Kate's sick I see it made me that much easier to pick on Mm
0: mhm Um, would you say that the like the social awkwardness or social anxiousness came before or after the bullying
1: I think it came before Mm -hmm. Uh, it's something my mother and I have discussed many times Um, she raised us to believe good intentions from everyone Mm -hmm. Um, and it's something that I still struggle with now I assume that people have good intentions and i very frequently will trust people to a point that i shouldn't trust them uh because they're gonna turn around and be jerks and to this day to you know 30 years later i'm still surprised when somebody turns around and treats me poorly even though i've done nothing to
0: them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and has that ever complicated like interpersonal relationships
1: oh yes okay uh, <laughs> I, you know, I have, I will very easily get attached to people who, and I think it's, honestly, I, I have trouble with the language of it nowadays, um, but everybody saying things that they don't actually truly mean, so like, oh my god, I love you, oh, you're so much fun, mm-hmm. oh, you're my friend, oh, my, you're my new best friend, we're gonna hang mm-hmm. out, like, I don't know, like, maybe I have... You know, uh, adult spectrum disorder, but um, if you if you say, I like you and I want to hang out with you, I usually believe you. Yeah,
0: <laughs> sure. That, <laughs> when one says something, one might assume that someone is telling the truth, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's, it's a, you know, it, I have gotten into situations where people are like, yeah, no, I didn't actually... Uh, I was just saying that to be nice. And I'm like, it's not nice to say that you want to be my friend and then not mm-hmm. <laughs> want to mm-hmm. be my friend. <laughs> uh,
0: and I would assume that would exacerbate like the social anxiety part of it. Yeah, and like, oh yes, and, absolutely. Yes. And how does that how does that feel for you? Like when you think it. Era- I
1: have I have incredible imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So somebody can repeatedly tell me. And show me like not just do but like Mm -hmm. actually hang out and actually call me and actually check up on Mm -hmm. me like I will still convince myself for no reason with no backing whatsoever that oh my god these people actually hate me they don't want to hang out with me I just I am a bother Mm -hmm. and I am a burden and nobody really wants me around but maybe if I bring a bottle of wine they'll at least appreciate that I brought (laughs) wine with me and if I leave early it'll be fine Mm
0: -hmm. and how do you how do you cope with that
1: um I try very, very hard to remind myself <laughs> of the things like they wouldn't have invited you if they don't want you to be here. You're like, if I know a person well enough to know who they like to surround themselves with aside from me, mm-hmm. I will look at the other people and say, like, okay, you know, if they didn't want so-and-so there, they wouldn't have invited that person. So if they didn't want me there, they wouldn't have invited me. That's simple. Mm-hmm. I also tend to gravitate towards people who were very blunt when it comes to who they like or dislike Mm -hmm. so they don't leave a lot of ambiguity which i appreciate Mm -hmm.
0: that makes sense um when you started being in therapy in the fourth grade what what sort of what was that like doing that as a kid it was
1: honestly it was weird (laughs) um (laughs) i um I mean a lot of it was like the stereotypical therapy that like you see on TV like you know what happened today and how did that make you feel Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't like it I didn't care for it at all I asked my mom if I still had to go see that lady (gasps) Um, and I wound up being a patient of hers for like a good 10 years Wow!
0: (laughs) and you didn't like it the whole Um, time And you didn't like it for the whole 10 years?
1: No, I started to like it better, but um, eventually when I stopped seeing her, I realized that it had very much just turned into an echo chamber, Mm. that she wasn't really offering me any constructive advice or any strategies to like move forward and make my situation better. Mm -hmm. It was more like this was a place that I went and hung out and complained about my life and um, ate, you know, ate a couple chocolates out the chocolate Mm. dish and then left. Sure. When I finally sought out somebody else, Mm -hmm. uh, I found more of a cognitive behavioral therapist who was like, okay, here's a way to work on Mm -hmm. that instead of just feeling crummy about (laughs) it all the time.
0: Sure. And um, what sort of techniques have they shared with you?
1: Um, So one that I really like, it's a breathing exercise. And the numbers are actually really arbitrary, but it's like you inhale for Mm -hmm. four seconds, hold it for seven seconds and then exhale for eight seconds. And if you do that for a while, it just, like, you spend more time focusing on your breathing and the counting mm-hmm. than you focus on any of the anxiety stuff that was happening.
0: Okay. That that makes sense, yeah. Um, I've done similar ones, and I think they work pretty well for you just, like, getting out of your own way. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, so earlier in the program, you had mentioned, like, Like, um, SNL, besides SNL, like, what, what else makes you able to face, like, this world and being okay with moving forward even when you're depressed? Um. Like, how do you cope with those feelings?
1: It's, it's been pretty rough the past year or so, Mm -hmm. um. Uh, a lot of what keeps me going is my creative projects. My podcasts are mm-hmm. just interacting with my other podcasting friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been very fortunate to develop a, a big network of people who are just excited to be excited mm-hmm. for each other's success. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if things are going pretty rough mm-hmm. for me, I at least can feel super good for my other friends that are doing well Mm -hmm. um and knowing that they know that i'm there for them and they can reach out to me that helps Mm -hmm. i like the it's a thing that helps me cope is feeling useful
0: yeah that makes sense it has like the last year and a half been difficult because of personal reasons or about the because the current state of everything now
1: (laughs) i a bit of both a little bit of everything
0: yeah that's fair um and Besides, like, when you're coping specifically with things we're all dealing with in this country right now, like, uh, what, besides, I would imagine, like, spite, yeah. <laughs> what uh, what keeps you going there? And what do you, how do you think, how do you cope and how do you think it are good ways to cope with that sort of thing, with the news cycle and all that?
1: Um, there are a lot of times when I'll be honest, I dip out. Yeah. I will put a, a self-imposed media ban. I'm just like, I can't take it anymore. I have reached full capacity for rage and upset. Uh, mm-hmm. And I will just zonk out of that for a while and just dip into like, I'm only, I'm only going to watch fiction or I'm just mm-hmm. going to listen to non-news podcasts or... Um, the other thing is, and this goes back to liking to feel useful... Um, I haven't established myself in in this city where I am right now yet but I like to volunteer for um crisis centers mm-hmm. uh specifically women and sexual assault crisis uh, crisis centers um because it's a thing that people need help with mm-hmm. and they always need volunteers and it's great to be able to act as an actual functioning tool <laughs> to assist people who desperately need it,
0: yeah, that makes sense. Um, where did you move to?
1: I moved from North Carolina back to my family in Buffalo at the beginning of September.
0: Oh, was there um, culture shock both ways at all or
1: um, more that it was uh, unexpected and very sudden change Mm -hmm. um i grew up in buffalo i Mm -hmm. moved to north carolina about 11 years ago and um the past year or so uh my relationship kind of went sideways and a lot of it was due to mental health Mm -hmm. issues and it got to a point where you know two people who were both trying to use the other as a crutch uh eventually everybody falls down
0: yeah (laughs) yes
1: so um my my home my my home away from home the home that I grew up in uh being far away was not a, a situation that could continue so mm-hmm. um they were able to take me in and give me a soft place to land
0: well, that's very good I'm glad that at least that happened mm-hmm. um and was the I mean I guess that's getting like naming names and that kind of thing but like what we're what are some of the difficulties that you found with dealing with like a romantic relationship with someone who has your predilections
1: um in a lot of ways it's helpful because um it's easier to understand their needs Mm -hmm. um because you understand more where that's coming from Mm -hmm. and you can also you know be open and honest and say like this is the thing that helps me when I'm feeling like that what would be helpful to you do you Mm -hmm. want me like do you want me to sit with you do you want me to go to the other room do you want me to go out do you want me to talk to you do you want to talk about Mm -hmm. it do you want me to talk nonsense Mm -hmm.
0: um
1: (laughs) and uh, like having that experience being on the other side of it is helpful on the negative side it can cause unnecessary or undue conflict in a relationship if you have imposter syndrome like I do and you are perpetually thinking oh my god this person doesn't want to be with me do you want to be mm-hmm. with me? you want to be with me right? you promise you want to be with me? I know you told me 12 times and you've given me no reason for me not to believe you but for some reason my brain will not believe you
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and it's just not healthy to live in like that So Mm -hmm. unless you have proper access to, you know, if you need a medication or if you need a talk therapist, if you need to be seeing somebody once or twice a week or whatever, if you don't have the access to all of those things, it can boil up to a really bad situation.
0: Yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. And going back a little bit, you had mentioned like... That the depression symptoms were started very early on. How did your family handle that? Were they very, like, okay with the concept?
1: Yeah, my family. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to speak on their behalfs, but at least mm-hmm. my mother has always said. Anybody who presents themselves as being completely and totally quote unquote normal is probably hiding something, yeah, so there's no sense, and there's never been any sense of um shame to it it's <laughs> m- merely it's just another thing like I need uh-huh. insulin for my diabetes, I need you know an antidepressant because my brain makes me sad sometimes
0: mm-hmm that makes sense um has in your estimation, has your uh, I, there's not a real good way though the, has the way your mind worked works helped or hindered your artistic process? How do you feel about that?
1: Um, I don't know that it has helped necessarily, mm-hmm. except well. I would say that I have always tended to be more open-minded. And I mm-hmm. think that is um, because I always felt very picked on. So I feel like, uh, you know, I, I feel like I, I owe everybody the same thing I would like myself. I would like people to mm-hmm. be accepting of whatever it is that I am.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, you know, now that I'm much older, I think that that's just basic human decency. But... Um, aside from that I I don't think so I would say it is a hindrance because my self doubt and my self-esteem are (laughs) miserable they have been terrible (laughs) for a long time Uh, so Mm -hmm. a lot of the people that I have worked with will tell you that I am my own worst critic and I'm a real nasty critic of myself
0: (laughs) (laughs) sure that makes sense do you do you have a hard time completing works because of that
1: no um mostly because i put myself in situations where uh the completion of it isn't completely on me
0: (laughs) sure yep Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. collaborative Mm -hmm.
1: projects i tend to not be very much of a leader Mm -hmm. because um if i get stuck up Uh, I would feel guilty about not getting things done, but then the things wouldn't get done and it would just Mm -hmm. be a a cycle of feeling bad about it but still not accomplishing it. Whereas if I'm working in a group and I have somebody who can say, I need this by this date, I can do it or show up on time and hopefully have my phone charged all the way, you know, and, you Mm -hmm. know, accomplish all of the things that they need from me to make it Mm -hmm. happen.
0: Yeah. Um, I would imagine... And correct me if i'm wrong one of the um reasons you find improv appealing is that it doesn't need to be perfect because it's like it's by the nature of the art form it isn't
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah absolutely yeah
0: and that must be like huge relief i would imagine
1: it's a huge relief but it's also it's one of the ways that my inner critic can get at me because mm-hmm. you know there is there's not a wrong way to do it but there's definitely a better way to do it sure so you know you can have a fantastic show and everybody loved it and then you can go debrief with your team Mm -hmm. and be like man I really wanted to Mm -hmm. bring such and such back I really wanted to make another reference to that Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to do this character and I just didn't get to it Mm -hmm. and it's like ah those are missed opportunities and that organic situation isn't going to happen again because that's the nature of improv is that it doesn't happen twice
0: yeah,
1: um. But you know, as long as you stick with a few very key elements, mm-hmm. it's there's no failure, and that comes back to like the very basics of like support your people and make sure everybody looks good, mm-hmm. and then you're gonna look amazing because everybody looks amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you feel that way about life with the uh, missed opportunities, and do you like have that rattling around? Sometimes,
1: yeah. It's, um. It's it's like that. Uh, that syndrome of like going back over a conversation or an argument in your head and thinking of 10 things that would have been way better to say but mm-hmm. the chances that you're going to be in that exact conversation <laughs> again are never going to happen yeah
0: that makes sense um,
1: but by the same token I think it's also still very true that if you approach your life trying to make sure that the people around you look good and are succeeding mm-hmm. then you're going to succeed as well
0: yeah I would agree. People
1: can certainly get to very high places by pushing other people down, but that's not how I would want to get anywhere.
0: Yeah. I I very much agree with that. Yeah. What would be your, like, biggest piece of advice for someone who is going through, like, what what what's the thing that you would want to tell Katie from, like, fourth grade? What would be the thing?
1: Um, hmm. I don't know what I would tell fourth grade me. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to ask for, for help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Seriously, consider the therapy. Mm-hmm. Consider finding a different therapist because that's okay too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and what do you think? What do you hope to be able to say to yourself in like ten years?
1: Where I am right now, is not where I want to be, but that's okay, because I have the tools to get where I want to be and I have the people in my life who will support me and help me be better
0: Mm -hmm. good um was it hard moving back oh yeah absolutely brutal (laughs) yeah (laughs) like uh, I would imagine like it was but like do you want to talk specifically about that or no um
1: I just, I don't know that I have anything insightful to say about it. I, um, you know, there are a lot of feelings that I have with regards to the relationship that I had, that I was in, Mm -hmm. um, that ended and it continues to be a complex situation that I'm trying to parse out every day, Mm -hmm. but... I can't go back and change any of it all I can do is try and be better going forward and that's really the thing that I try very hard to keep present in my mind
0: yeah that I think is good like you can always be better be stronger be who you like the way I always think of it is since time is a construct you're already the person you want to be you just have to catch up to it
1: That's a good way of putting it
0: (laughs) um i think i'm i think i'm okay on my end but is there Mm -hmm. anything you want to promote you want to talk about more about what you're doing besides being sad (laughs) (laughs) um
1: if you want to hear uh if you want to follow me being very much not uh, a deep insightful philosophical (laughs) person um if you if you are so inclined to check out uh, real play RPGs um, like the Adventure Zones, uh, mm-hmm. the Adventure Zone, or Fate and Fable Maidens, um, there is this cool little thing called Kids on Bikes, the podcast, and mm-hmm. we are having a lot of fun. So, and I think I think it comes across really really well when you listen to a recording. We're still mm-hmm. very early on; we only launched at the beginning of September. And mm-hmm. we only release two episodes a month right now, so uh, it's not so far in that it would be intimidating to get caught up on our library <laughs> um but it's it's silly it's just uh it's a group of people who all care about each other and are having a lot of fun
0: good and, I'm glad
1: and it, and if anybody wants to hop on that train, please do because we're mm-hmm. constantly uh astounded and thrilled whenever anybody has anything nice to say about us. <laughs>
0: Good. I'm glad. Um, It was good getting to know you in these few minutes, and I appreciate you doing this.
1: Absolutely. It's my pleasure.